Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. And Acts number two holds the birth, holds the birth of the church. The birth of the church. The church that that scripture says that Christ shed his blood for. The church that he purchased with his own blood. So this is the birth of the church of Acts chapter number two. And uh, some of the questions and some of the puzzling and some of the confusion and some of the bewilderment of that day that took place because of a noise that was sounded abroad from the upper room. The Bible says in verse 37, now when they heard this, Peter had been preaching a a message to them, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That still happens today. That pricking in your heart, sometimes you can sit in the service, it's like, oh, I've heard people describe it like, I just, I just feel something. Well, that's a probing and a picking of your heart. So they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles because of everything they had heard. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Because sometimes what you feel, you just don't know what to do with it. It's pricking in the heart. Verse 38 says, then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise, this promise of the Holy Ghost, this this promise that when you read the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, before Jesus ascended, he told his disciples, go tarry in Jerusalem and tarry for the promise of the father this is what he's talking about for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off even as many as the lord our god shall call someone say the promise is for me all the way back Thousands of years ago from Acts number two, it's still, it is from generation to generation, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And at different places in scripture, the call that I heard Jesus say was, whosoever will. That's a pretty broad brush. That doesn't select a certain race or ethnic group or color of skin. that's, That's everyone. This promise is for you, for us. Amen. Tonight, I want to just for a little while talk about a fresh start. A fresh start. Lord, we come to you tonight. We're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful for those that have shown up here tonight. God, to glorify your name and 
God, participate, Lord, in this service. And I pray tonight that, God, they would go not, Lord, away disappointed, but, Lord, that even as they of the book of Acts were pricked in their heart, that perhaps your spirit would prick others tonight, God, in their heart, and they would be compelled, Lord, to do, or, Lord Jesus, to respond, God, to what, Lord, they are feeling, Lord, or to what, Lord Jesus, they feel, Lord, happening, God, in their lives. I pray, oh, Lord, we will not forget to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplish in this place. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ tonight that I pray in the church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated today in Jesus' name. It's always important to go back to the origin of the church, the origin of the church, and see where this, this all started and where this all came from. We understand that his disciples were absolutely commissioned to go to Jerusalem that that's where the teaching of repentance and in Jesus' name would happen. That's what he told them in Luke chapter 24. It would begin there at Jerusalem. And so we know that the disciples, along with many others, 120 were gathered in an upper room that day. Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with the others that were there, and they had spent some time from his ascension to this time of the day of Pentecost. The Bible speaks that they had spent this time in prayer. It spent this time in seeking the face of God. It wasn't just, it just wasn't needless time or wasting time, but they were spending time in prayer. And the Bible says as they prayed on this particular day of Pentecost, which was a feast day, a feast day when people of all different divisions of society and countries and continents of that then known world had come together to Jerusalem for the celebration of this feast. People of different uh, languages and dialects had gathered together at this point in time to celebrate the feast of Passover or Pentecost rather and as they are here in the upper room 120 of them something happens that Jesus said would happen the Bible says suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it came and it sat upon all of them it filled the house and sat upon all of them where they were sitting the Bible says there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire and the Bible says that they were all that were in this upper room they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I know this might seem uh, uh, bizarre or just absolutely wowing to you, but we had a bunch of people that began to speak in tongues or in other languages that they were foreign to. It was not their native tongue. It was not their native language. As a matter of fact, when you read, continue to read in Acts chapter number two, these different people of different countries and place said that they heard some of these men who they later described were Galileans, said we heard them speaking in our tongue. We held them speaking in our language all the wonderful things of God. And the Bible says they could do this because the Spirit of God had given them the utterance or the ability in order to speak into these different languages. And this this thing, I mean, it, it caused a great commotion at Pentecost. It didn't just stay in the upper room, but there's people here, there, and everywhere. This is being noised abroad. Did you hear what happened over at Jerusalem in the upper room? Not only that, however long that whole scenario took place, maybe, I mean, you know, we're not talking about glass windows and three panes and all of that. We're talking about open windows and open doors this is flooding down into the streets the sound of this and people are hearing words and the, the results of this is that some people were amazed and there were others though that began to mock some were even wondering some the Bible says even begin to describe perhaps these men are drunk but Peter an apostle of the twelve stood up on that day 
And he says, men and brethren, he says, these men are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. He's saying it's too early in the day for these people to be drunk. This is not the result of wine or liquor or hard drink. He said, this is a result of the spirit of the living God. And Peter began to preach to them and speak to them about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He began to talk to them about how Christ had walked among them. He had healed their sick. He had caused some of their dead to come to life again. That very Jesus that many of them had persecuted and had rejected was the Messiah that had been prophesied about even from the Old Testament. Isaiah said that there was going to be, their God was going to come in their day and a way that they could denote that their God had come is that he was going to cause the lame to leap and the blind eyes to be opened. And whenever Jesus started his earthly ministry among Galilee and all these different places, we see in the accounts of the Gospels that there were blind eyes that were being opened and there were those that were lame that were being made to walk. That should have been clear indication to the Jews that our Messiah, our God has come. He's come in the form of a man, Christ Jesus, and he's living among us. But the Bible says that these people did not recognize him for who he was. And as a result, no doubt the Bible says that they took him. They wanted to crucify him. Many are familiar with Calvary, but they hung him high and they stretched him wide. Another account of the epistle said if they had known him, they would not have crucified him. If they really knew that he was their Messiah, the one that they were looking for, they would have not done this. But what Peter is getting at is that each and every one of them that are in the crowd, he said, you had a hand in putting that Lord and that Savior, your Messiah, Messiah to death he said the Romans were involved the Jews were involved all mankind were involved because Christ Jesus went to the cross for what purpose for the sins of humanity and we're all born into sin we all take upon the nature of Adam and so Peter was basically telling them all of you are at fault if you want to say it like that all of you are responsible for the death of this Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and whenever they heard that when they realized it wasn't just Joe over there or Betty over there, it wasn't that. It's those Romans, they're the one that hung them. When they realized that their hand was just as responsible and their sins were just as responsible as anybody else, they turned to Peter and they said, what must we do? Because we realize we've done something. Our sin has been, if you will, a, 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 a tool to help put Christ on the cross and he's there because of our sin we've done something we've been born sinners we've lived a life of sin but now what shall we do in other words is there any way that we can start over is there any way that we can undo what's been done is there any way that we can change our past and make something new is there oh somebody here there might be someone here tonight that you've come to the realization, you know what, Pastor McGee, I'm just as much as responsible as anybody, amen, for Christ being on a cross. And you might be looking at your life from this point backward thinking, what can I do? I've been born into this world a sinner. The Bible says, David said, we were shaped in iniquity and in sin did our mother conceive us. I've been born into the world like this. What can I do? Is there any way to change the past? Is there any way to 
to undo what's been done. And Peter, standing up with the others, declared unto them, he said, here, guys, this is what you must do. You gotta be obedient to the plan. You gotta be obedient to the gospel that the Lord laid out for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, you gotta repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He says, if you want to undo what's been done, if you want something that will change the past, if you want a fresh start, someone say amen. If you want a fresh start, then you gotta identify with the Lord in his death, burial, and his resurrection. Can someone say amen? So they're dealing with this fact that perhaps they had a hand in crucifying the Lord. They, they want something changed. What, what shall we do? This is the question throughout New Testament scripture, particularly in the book of Acts and other places, that this is the common question that men and women wrestled with when they had an aha moment that they needed some type of change or alteration in their life. The Bible says that Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, eventually, whenever he realized on his road on the road to Damascus that the Lord was speaking to him and he cried out, Lord, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was in that moment he understood and had an aha moment, amen, that everything that he was doing, all the persecuting, everything that he was saying against people that was teaching and preaching Jesus, he was doing against the Lord and Savior that he knew. And when he had that aha moment, the Bible says in Acts 9 that that Saul even asked, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? He's asking the same question that they asked in Acts chapter number two. How can we get this thing reversed? How can we change the past? How can we alter what's been done unto this moment? It's the question of the ages. Whenever Paul and Silas was in the jail in Acts 16, and at midnight they began to sing praises and worship the Lord, the Bible says that there was it was really the first jailhouse rock. I know you thought Elvis had it, but they had it in the book of Acts chapter 16. It was the jailhouse rock, and, and the doors flung open, and none of the prisoners escaped, but that Philippian jailer stood there. Whenever this happened, he had an aha moment. He's saying there's something about these two men there's some experience that they had amen that I need for me and my family as well and the question that he asked sounds very similar to the question that the first church asked in Acts chapter number two that Philippian jailer said what must I do to be saved someone say amen because when we realize that we're a part of this whole whole fabric of humanity, amen, that have been sinners just as well, it prompts a question. I know it's like I know what I've done. I know what I've been a part of, being a part of this thing called fallen humanity. But now I want to know, can anything be done about that? Can anything be altered? Hallelujah. And yes, it takes faith. And yes, it takes belief. But James told us that faith without works is dead. Huh? Faith without works standeth alone. It is dead. There is no such thing as faith without works. That's a dead faith, not a living faith. And so whenever we obey the scriptures and obey the plan, 
amen, of identifying with the Lord and subject our lives to his death and subject our lives to his burial and to his resurrection, then there is a living faith, and that's what he wants us to do. If you will, does anybody know, and I know you're all intelligent people, I can just tell, amen, but does anybody know what we talk about whenever we talk about the gospel? When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about more than just the good news as it's interpreted, but the gospel is explained in 1 Corinthians 15. If you'll go there, and I'm going to have to keep a real good eye on time because we could, you know, sometimes a, a bad ser- or a good sermon turns into a bad series. <laughs> Glory. Amen. Amen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received. Everybody say received. I want to hold on to that word just here for a moment. Wherein ye stand... By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest ye have believed in vain. Look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, also, which I also received, how that, here we go, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The apostle Paul says, listen guys, he says, I declared this gospel to you. I preached this gospel to you, which ye also have, what was that word I told you to remember? Received. Now just tonight before church, I, I wanted to look up this word receive because, you know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek and I don't really read Greek and so I wanted to see what the word meant in the original Greek language. And that word received means this. Amen. To receive near, that is associate with oneself in any familiar or intimate act or relation by analogy to assume an office figuratively to learn, receive, take unto, or take with. Thayer's dictionary says to take to, to take with oneself, to join to oneself. I like that. To join to oneself. It says also not to reject, not to withhold obedience, but to receive something transmitted, an office to be discharged. And so if Paul said the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, I declared to you, I preached to you, but ye also have received. He's saying then you have joined yourself to the burial. You've joined yourself to the, 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 uh, the crucifying of Christ. You've joined yourself to the newness of life in his resurrection. Not only that, whenever you use the word received, he says you have an office to discharge. That, that word received means you didn't withhold your obedience. He says, I declared it, I preached it, but you've obeyed something. You've stepped into the office along with the Lord. And folks, that is so biblical because the Bible describes that very thing in the epistle of Romans 6 and verse number 4. Whenever Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says, Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised, here we go, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified, there's there's the death, crucified with, we're joining ourselves, joining ourselves with him, identifying with him, have an office to destroy charge alongside him 
amen, that the body of sin might be destroyed and that henceforth we shall not serve sin. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm saying is this, amen, whenever we exercise our faith, faith has works and the works of our faith is obedience to the plan, amen, that the Lord prescribed through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. He wants us to die with him, be buried with him, and rise in newness of life with him. That's what Peter was talking about to the New Testament church when he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift. Someone say gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, the apostle Peter here is preaching a very, a very convincing message. We said here in the beginning that they were pricked in their heart. And please just note this, and we want to stay just very biblically ordered here. If you back up to Acts chapter number 2 and verse 21, the Bible says, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But whenever they asked Peter... What shall we do? It went beyond just calling on the name of the Lord. He t- if, if, if that was it, Peter didn't have anything else to say at that point then. But he went beyond that. And so, see, it's important that we take the complete scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Amen. To build a doctrine or to build our understanding of scripture. He said, you got to repent. You got to be baptized. You got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that pricked them in their heart. And God's word does that. The Bible speaks how God's word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, that it has the ability of piercing even to the dividing of asunder of soul in spirit. Amen. Joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the very intents of the heart. God's word sometimes, even while I'm preaching tonight, might prick your heart. It might prick your soul because God's word is like a two-edged sword. But the Bible tells us in verse 41 later in Acts number 2 that they gladly received that word. It pricked their heart in the beginning, but once they were obedient to what pricked their heart, they were glad that they received. Amen. What the word had to say concerning the matter. And so Paul preached the very, yeah. I mean, imagine being there and understanding I'm, I'm one of those that had a hand in killing the Lord. Well, that's quite poignant. I mean, that, that, that's very convicting. But at the end of the day, in addition to the 120, the Bible says 3,000 was added to the church. Can I back up and just tell the church family here for a, more, for a moment here tonight? What that tells me is this, is that a convicting message can still be a redemptive message. May not shy away from conviction. A convicting message can still be a redemptive message. And so his response was very, very simple. There are no other options. Listen to Pastor McGee tonight. There are no other options to repentance. It is a requirement. There are no other options. It's not like, do you got a plan B? There are no other options. In various other places of scripture, the mandate of repentance was very much so evident in various places. Repentance, ladies and gentlemen, tonight is not just an an apology. We misunderstand if we think of it just as an apology. Repentance is a change of mind. Amen. Repentance is when we start to regret our sins as much as the Lord, when we hate them as much as God hates them. We hate what he hates and we love what he loves. It's 
regretting, amen, sins of the past, wanting a, a possibility of a change of mind and a change of conduct. Amen. This is important because repentance isn't just a regret for sins. Huh? It isn't just a regret of sins, but it's also a changing of our conduct. Amen. That cause, that, that materialized into that old sin. We're going to try to change our mind. Change our mind about that. We don't want to go that way. In other words, we want to change direction. You've heard me some around here a thousand times. Repentance is that 180 degree turnaround. Amen. You're walking this way. And all of a sudden, this is the way you're walking. This is the way that you're living life. But when you repent, the meaning is a, an about face like they would have in the army. 180 degree turnaround. In other words, you're not walking the same direction you used to walk. Amen. You're not living the same way you used to live. You're in a different direction, a different path. You change your mind about that. What you were turned toward, now your back is turned toward and you're turned toward the Lord. That's what repentance is all about. It's a middle change of attitude or feeling or remorse and it will affect your life. Again, you're all intelligent folks. There's nothing that you do that doesn't first pass through this old gray matter up here. I know. Huh? I mean, you know, I know got some of you, you, you teenagers, you smart off to your parents and say, oh, that just slipped out my mouth. It didn't slip out your mouth. It slipped through your brain, then out your mouth. Anything you do, action, word, whatever, it's passed through this old gray matter first. And that's the reason when repentance, we, we start to change our mind, it automatically has impact on our actions. It originally meant an afterthought or a second thought. Anybody ever had a second thought about something? You know what that usually means? The first thought you thought wasn't the right thought. You had a second thought. You're, 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 you're reconsidering. He said repent. Everybody say repent. And be baptized. No, the conjunction and. This is not repent or be baptized. It's not either or. This is not the options on the car list and say, well, I'd like to have, you know, automatic wipers and, you know, I want to do power law. No, 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 no. It's a and. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Because notice, repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus is for, the scripture says, the remission, which is a fancy word that just basically means removal, for the removal of sins. Why, why I'm telling you this is this, is because baptism, according to New Testament scripture of Acts 2, the Bible, according to the Bible, baptism is a whole lot more than just a public confession of faith. Baptism goes to a level beyond. I know we live in an age that it's like you baptize to show forth you join the church. But according to the Bible, baptism is so much more than a confession of faith or your, your name on a membership row. Baptism is an integral part of the removal of the sins in your life. Amen. For that matter, if it was just only confession of faith, what then is the story of Acts chapter number 8? 
whenever Philip goes out and he's in a desert place and he meets up with the, 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 the eunuch there, the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah, we can deduce about how the Lord in his humiliation and all these things. And Philip meets him and he asks the, the eunuch, he says, understandest what thou readest? And he said, no, not really. And the Bible says, no, the Bible says that Philip begins to preach to this man, Jesus. And before it was all said and done, amen, him preaching Jesus must have had a lot to do, death, burial, and resurrection, because they finally came to a place where water was, and the eunuch asked, here is water. What hindereth me to be baptized? And like, you know, Philip's like, nothing. And the Bible says they both went down into the water. And Philip baptized this eunuch. Now, if baptism was just for the purpose of a public witness, we have no other record there in Acts number 8 that anybody else was around. This was a desert place, and it seems as though only Philip and the eunuch was there. So what good would have been the baptism if it was be for all the public that he was joining the church would that have been? Because it was more than that. So much more. What was happening in that moment is a eunuch that had repented was coupling his repentance with baptism for the removal of his sins from that day backward from his conception. Not only that, if you really want a public confession, at midnight, at midnight, it was Paul and Silas that the Philippian jailer was washing their wounds and washing the stripes that had been laid to their back. And at midnight, the only ones that we know of, according to the record of Scripture, that witnessed the Philippian jailer's baptism was Paul and Silas which was there they didn't wait for a lot of crowd or others to come so that this public confession would be no 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 they did it the self same night that he asked what must I do to be saved what was his baptism then all about his baptism coupled with his repentance was about his sins being washed away when the Bible says you repent and baptize for everybody say for for the remission of sins, that word for in the Greek language means because of, with a view towards, on account of, on the basis of, to receive in order to obtain. In other words, we repent and are baptized to receive remission of sins. We repent and are baptized because of, or with a view towards remission of sins, in order to obtain a remission of sins. Because in that moment, through my repentance, I've died with him. In my baptism, I've been buried with him, and he's washing away my sin. And in my baptism, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. I'm taking on that name that even the psalmist said is a name that's above every name. Even so much that in Acts 4 and 12, he said, neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And he was referencing the name of Jesus. That's what your Bible says. That's what your Bible says. So it's true here in other places. So they're saying, what, what shall we do? All of this must, must be done. Uh, Matthew 26 and verse 28, the Bible says, for this, Jesus says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed, his blood shed for many, for, everybody say for. Exact same Greek word for that's used in Acts, meaning to receive in order to obtain. He said, my blood was shed for the remission or the removal of your sins. Listen, folks, what's good? What's good for him to shed blood if we don't appropriate or apply the blood? We teach this. You want to see Old Testament? Old Testament, it's Exodus 12 and Exodus 13. It's, it's the Passover. 
it's, it's the, last, the last plague that came upon Egypt of the slaughtering of the firstborn. And the only way that the Israelites, God's people, his nation, the only way that they were going to escape that is if they took the blood of a lamb and the lamb was slaughtered. It was a lamb per household. And they take that blood and they put it on the lintel on the doorpost of their house. And the Bible says when the death angel passed by and it saw the blood, it would pass over them. Their firstborn child would not be taken. They were, in essence, saved by the blood that was on their house. A lamb had to be sacrificed, Aiden, and there was blood shed as a result of it. But if that blood just remained in a basin... If that blood just remained in the basin, their house wasn't protected. They had to apply the blood, amen, to the lintel on the doorpost. Ladies and gentlemen, it would, be, it would be a cruel thing to think that Christ shed blood for the remission of sin and we not get the blood applied, amen, through Jesus' name baptism and through our repentance, amen, to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. God remits the sin. When by obedient faith, again, we're just submitting to the plan that he has established called the gospel. Amen. There's nothing magical about the water. Listen, my wife and I have traveled all over these United States holding revivals, and we've been here, there, and young. We've baptized people in horse troughs. We've baptized people in the river. We've here, there, everywhere, nice baptismals, pools, hot tubs. It doesn't matter. Because there's no power in the water, but power's in the name. Huh? Whenever the lame man that had been sitting at the gate called Beautiful in Acts 3 was made whole, and then here's Peter and John brought in before the rulers, and they ask him, by what name or by what power? Look in your Bibles. Has this been done? You know what they're equating? There's power in a name. By what name or by what power has this been done? Folks, there's no power in the water. But when you go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that same name was used for healing. That same name was used for cleansing the leper. That same name was used to dispatch unclean spirits. Hallelujah. There is no greater than that name. And so it's the power that's in the name. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17, I'm trying to keep track of time. Help me, Lord Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17, for Christ, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. What Paul was saying was this. It's not important necessarily who baptizes you. As long as you are baptized, which the word baptized, baptizo, means to immerse, that you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Who does it? Whether it's a trough, a lake, a bridge, you know, whatever. Don't matter. As long as the plan and the pattern stays true. That's the reason why we read in 1 Corinthians 1.13, Paul says, he asks, this is a time in which there's some different apostles and different people that are doing great works in the New Testament church. There's Paul and there's, there's Cephas or Peter and there's Apollos and some, you know, had some different fallings. You know, that's my pastor Cephas over there. Bless him, Jesus. You know, there's, there's my pastor Apollos. Oh, he's such a good man. Whatever. But the fact of the matter was this. Paul says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
He says, some of you saying that Apollos is the, you know, the great high potentate because he's your man and your pastor and you sit under his teaching. Others saying it's Cephas, others saying it's me. He says, listen, 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 listen. He says, this is where the rubber meets the road. He said, some of you all baptizing people, listen. He said, was I crucified for you? I'm just another man. An old time preacher used to say it like this. He said, all preachers are nothing more but one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Honey, we all just in the same ship. Whether it was Apollos, whether it was Paul, whether it was Peter, guess what? They were all sinners at one point. They were all born into sin at some point. They all needed to follow the plan at some point. And Paul was saying, hey, don't, don't exalt me too high. Was I crucified for you? Did I go to a cross for you? Did I shed blood for your remission? No, no, no. He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, none of them were baptized in the name of Paul. What are you getting at, Paul? He says, it's important what name you're baptized in because you want to be baptized in the name of the one that was crucified for you. Paul wasn't. Apollos was Peter wasn't but if Jesus Christ was crucified for you that's the name you need to be baptized in because that's where the power is that he's the one that shed the blood for your sin not a Paul someone say amen it's important throughout the Jewish heritage and Jewish history and brother Mason can attest this they're all types of washings of the Jews through time ceremonial washings and washings for purification of this that incorporated water but Jesus makes this different from any other washing that the Jew had amen by signifying that it must be named be done in the name of Jesus and by immersion or by baptism and so water baptism is a part of our salvation it's a part of our gospel experience amen it's inter instrumental for the removal or the remission of sins Whenever Nicodemus, many of you probably know the story, but whenever Nicodemus came to Jesus by night in John chapter number three, and he had some questions about entering into the kingdom of God and things of this nature, Jesus's response to him about entering into that kingdom, amen, was that he said unto him, verily, verily, John 3, 5, Jesus, these are Jesus's words. Someone say, you got a red, you got a red letter edition Bible? You're probably seeing red. It's like, ah. Screaming out to you. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Pastor McGee didn't say that. Jesus said that in the book of John whenever Nicodemus was asking about being able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, got a lot of scripture for you. He says, and such were some of you, because he begins to describe a list of some people that were fornicators and adulterers and, and murderers. And we're thinking, yeah, man, that's just horrible. You know, a horrible bunch, bless God. And he turns to him and says, that were you all at one time. That was your sketchy pass before you had a fresh start. He said, that, that were some of you. He says, but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of Jesus. If you're washed in the name of Jesus, Paul is alluding to here in the book of Corinthians, baptism in his name. Ye have been washed in the name of Jesus and look by the spirit of our God. A baptism of the spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, which is exactly what Jesus had told Nicodemus. You must be born of the water and the spirit. Paul says some of y'all was that but you're not that now because you followed the pattern of the God
gospel plan and you've been buried in his name and you've received the gift of the Holy Ghost as well. Someone say amen. amen. Paul retelling his conversion story. Everybody doing okay? All right, I'm hurrying. Paul retelling his conversion story. We see this on more than one occasion in the book of Acts. He tells his story, his, his Damascus Road story, a couple of times. But in Acts 22 and verse 16 is one of the times he's retelling his conversion story. And he says, and now why tarriest thou? This is, this is Ananias speaking to uh, what was at that time Saul before his name was changed to Paul. Why now? Why? And now why tarriest thou? Arise, he says, and be baptized. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism again, coupled with this, this washing away of sins. We look in First Peter chapter number three and verse number twenty, and the Bible says, Peter speaking here in the book, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Anybody remember the days of Noah, the flood, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, the Bible says, that is eight souls were saved by water. Amen. Because the people of Noah's day, it was just a symbol. It was just kind of like we talked this morning, a shadow of something better to come. Amen. The eight souls were Noah and his sons and their daughters and Noah's wife that got on the ark and the door was shut. Amen. And the water came and they were saved so much so by water. They were obedient to God. Amen. To get on the boat. Amen. In a time and they were safe because of where they are. And Noah day because of the water again they got on the ark and the ark kept them safe well because of the water in the new testament because of our baptism in water in the name of Jesus Christ there is also safety in him baptism according to new testament scripture puts us in Christ the bible says in Galatians 3 27 for as many of you has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ Someone say amen. Everybody doing okay? I'm going to have to skip some stuff here. This is just, just too much amen going on. Titus 3 and 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And everybody say How? According to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Someone say, yeah. yeah. Twofold. Here's one thing for a fact. If there's any place in Scripture where the Bible only talks about the burial or only talks about baptism, what is implied is that there has been repentance because... Just like in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, what did they do? The soldiers went by. They checked to make sure your Jesus was dead. They did. Because like the, the, the others, the others that was on each side of Christ, right? And it was typical for them to break their legs if, if they were not dead yet or if they wanted to hasten death. They would break the legs so they couldn't get that push up on the cross so their diaphragm could expand to get. Because a lot of times the people on crosses really died from, from suffocation or a fixation on the cross. And so they wanted to go see and see if Christ was already dead. And he was. They put that spirit through his side. Blood and water came out. Amen. Was the indication to them that he was already dead. And they didn't break any bone, which, is, which was a fulfillment of prophecy because the prophet said no bone of his body was to be broken. 
which that's just a marvel of God's word. But what I mean is this. They didn't take him down and bury him until they knew that he was. So anytime you see even scripture just mentions baptism and then resurrection or burial. Death is implied because you don't bury anything that isn't first. Repentance. So anytime they talk about baptism and resurrection or Holy Ghost, which is resurrection, newness of life, huh? Repentance is already implied. Oh, someone say amen. He said there's going to be the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Folks, this is what the first church that I'm talking to you about in the book of Acts, the birth of the church, this is what they experienced. But here's the thing. I have good news for you tonight. This isn't just what the first church experienced. This isn't just, this isn't just regulated, amen, to, 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 to this time frame and this culture and these people. No, no, no. For the promise is unto you and your children and those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God. What are you saying tonight then? I'm saying this, the same experience that the first church had, you can have. You can repent of your sins tonight. You can, we got water ready here tonight. You can be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the promise is, the promise of the Father is that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You're telling me I could speak in other tongues as they did? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. It wasn't regulated to them alone. It's for you, your children, generation. How do you know that, Brother McGee? Because everywhere I've been, all across the United States, in prison, you all know many here, we do prison ministry. We've been in probably, I don't know how many now, probably almost 20 different state prisons all throughout the United States. That anytime someone receives the gift of the Holy Ghost or receives salvation in the Spirit of God, they receive it exactly like it was told right here in the book of Acts chapter number 2. The exact same experience happened. I've seen it at camp meetings for youth camps. I, Sister Cox, I know it's the will of God because whenever we were in Mississippi one time, we were in a prison, a state uh, penitentiary for women. And we always had them. And I've told this story here, but for those that weren't here then, I'm telling it for you now. We were there. And there was an African-American lady that was there. And we always have the ministry team stand up along the front. And we have people come get prayer. They might want prayer for their children, prayer for themselves, just a multitude of things. And so we were standing along there. And, man, they line up. I mean, they, altar call is, is business for them. They are ready to get prayer. I mean, if you lived in the cell all alone, you've seen the same people all day, I'm sure you'd want somebody else to talk to you too. And we were there, and I was praying for different ladies in my line, and God was touching and moving and helping and so on and so forth. Got through my line, and I started to go this way to go back over to my seat, and there was an African-American lady there on the front row, and she stepped forward. She said, sir, would you pray for, pray for me? Absolutely. So what would you like to pray, have prayer for? Always ask him this. She says, well, I'm in here because I murdered somebody. I said, okay. She says, and I will probably never have a chance for parole. But it's coming up very soon for me to have a parole hearing. So it's probably, it's probably a, a Debbie Downer. It's never going to happen. But I'm going before the parole board. And this is, this is her words, not mine. She says, and I want you just to pray God's will. I said, okay, sweetie. It had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with me. God's spirit is invasive. It's everywhere. 
It's the reason why the psalmist said, whether I, whether I go into the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand lead me. And so I prayed exactly what she said. I said, God, I prayed, just let your will be done. And pray in God's will. This lady never happened to her before. Didn't really know anything about it. We've been preaching and teaching on different things. This lady began to speak in a language. She talked to me in English. But she began to speak in some other language. And the biggest smile was across her face. And she finished. And I looked at her. I said, ma'am, I said, do you know any other language beside English? She says, no. I said, have you ever had what just happened to you happen right now? She, and she's beaming this whole time. She said, no. I said, do you understand what happened? I said, you just received the spirit of God in your life. And the only reason I know that instantaneously is because just like in Acts, the spirit of God has given you utterance, has allowed you to verbalize. What are you saying? Honey, if it can happen to someone that's committed murder in a jail down in Mississippi, just like it did in the book of Acts, then it's still happening today, and it's for you and your children and those that are far off, even as you come too late to tell me it's still real, real, real. Jesus is real. Yes! I got that Holy Ghost down in my soul just like the Bible says. This is not Paul McGee theology. This is Bible theology. I've seen four-year-olds do it. We've seen 70-some-odd-year-olds do it. All different age dynamics, male and female alike, of different nationalities do it. Because it's not just an experience for them. It's an experience for this hour. It's an experience for our world. God can take anybody that was a sinner. And through repentance and baptism and through his death and burial. Because listen, you could repent all day long, but if he had not died, your repentance wouldn't go anywhere. You can be baptized in Jesus' name all you want to, but if he never was buried, it'd be null and void. That's the reason why I tell people I'm not working for my salvation because I could repent, be baptized, and all that, and it wouldn't amount to anything had he not already done what he did. I'm just being obedient to the plan. I'm just being obedient to the pattern. I'm just identifying him when each of those steps, and God does the work. He does the work. Spirit gives the utterance. Stand with me. I gotta, I'm so sorry. Up there, Ephesians 2.13, Brother Zach, just please, Paul to the church, uh, Ephesus. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, the ones that were deemed far off in this day were the Gentiles. They were people that were non-Jews. Ye who were far off, the, the, the Gentiles. He said, are made nigh by how? The blood of Christ. So if you've been brought near, you've been brought close by the blood of Christ. When you look at verse 13, 17, rather, the Bible then says, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off the Gentiles again and to them that were nigh. So when it's talking to the far off, it's talking to the Gentiles, all the non-Jews. And when it's talking to those that are nigh, it was those that were of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And he says, listen, both. 
whether you're Jew or not Jew. Huh? The Bible even tells us that when we're baptized in Christ, bond or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, it matters not because we're all baptized by the same spirit into the same body called the church. It brings a unification. Through our experience, we become, if I could say, one of his. And if in the book of Revelation, as we read the final chapter of the book of Revelation, the call is made then to the church very clearly that whosoever will should come. Whosoever will. Look, look what the scripture says. And that's not up there, but Revelation 22 and verse 17. The Bible says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know what some of the closing words of the Bible then are? He says, it's this. I don't care who you are. If you're thirsty, if I can put it in these words, if there's a prick in your heart, if something, if something even in this service tonight has, has spoken to you and you have felt something, or there's been an aha moment from the scripture about something, you know what the Lord's plea is to you tonight is? Come. The huh. lady in John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Jesus shows up at the well. He goes to the Samaritan woman, which was kind of out of culture because the Jews really didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. Samaritans was a mixed race. They were part Jew, part Gentile. And they were almost outcasts in their day. But Jesus, that's, that's Jesus' mode of operation. Jesus always goes for what society considers the outcast. And he shows up at the well. And here comes this woman. He's like, you know, you thirsty? She's what in the world are you asking me about being thirsty? You don't even have a bucket to draw with. I mean, how are you going to help me with my thirst when you don't even have a bucket to put down in the well? He said, honey, if you had asked of me to drink, I would have given you living water. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, I'm talking about, I would give you, I would give you my spirit. It would become a well inside of you. Huh? I know you're here for natural water. He said, but I would give you some spiritual water. And you got to make the trip every day here to the well for water. He said, but if I put my well in you, wherever you are, it is. It's not like a special time of the, uh, you know, it's got to be Sunday night service at six. No, no, no. If you get God's spirit in you, you don't just experience his spirit here. But when you go to work, when you're having a bad day, guess what? There's an artesian well of. And it's springing up. Are you thirsty tonight? Do you want the same experience that the first church had? Then the plea is simply this in the urging of God. Come. Come. Brother McGowan. I just really don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I, I, I'm not good at that King's English. I have a hard time with those these and thous and shouts. Who cares? You don't, none of that. It, it's not ha- using these and thous and shouts. Thou great God of the almighty high potentate ruler of the. No. You come to him and you talk to him like I'm talking to you right now. I say, you know what, God? 
I know this is, you know, probably a great surprise to you. Just kidding. I'm a sinner without your grace and your mercy. And I've messed up a lot. And I've been having some afterthoughts and second thoughts about the way that I've lived. You know what you're starting right there? A mode of repentance. A mode of repentance. And I'm telling you tonight, you say, we're at the end of the service, okay? So if, if you, we'll find clothes, get you clothes. We can baptize. I got, there's warm, it's probably 90 degrees or so right now. If you want baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, if you die first through repentance, we'll bury you. Theoretically speaking, we'll bury you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only thing that's left in is for you to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's your promise. It's not, it's not just mine. It's your promise. Every age, every demographic, it's your promise. If we enclose our eyes all across this place right now. I'm going to begin to pray. They're going to prepare a song, and this altar is going to be open. Listen, folks, you don't have anything to be bashful about. Listen, you're, you're, you're not going to surprise any of us around here because there's many of us that's walked the same road perhaps where you are right now tonight. But God, I'm asking right now by your spirit, God, and by your power, God, that that Holy Ghost that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, God, that plan, that identification with that plan of your death, burial, and resurrection, that is true, Lord, for the first century, is true, Lord Jesus, for this century as well. I pray, oh God, today, we want to be a part of that church, that body. Lord Jesus, we want to be born again as you told Nicodemus of both the water and the spirit. God, we want to take your name on in baptism. We, Lord, want to repent of our sins and we want to receive the Holy Ghost. God, Lord, to speak in other tongues as your spirit would give the utterance. There is no, no, it's an undeniable sign that happens instantaneous that you know that God's spirit has moved inside of your life. I pray, oh God, right now, God, move upon hearts and souls. Any God that may be pricked in their hearts, moved in their spirit. God, feel something in their lives tonight. God, through the word of the Lord, wanting to know what must I do. Amen. God calls them, Lord, to respond to your spirit, respond to your word. If it's a prayer, if it's a hand raised, whatever it may be, and however they may choose to do it, I pray, oh God, that they had liberty in this moment, God, to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We open this altar. If you have a friend, if you have a friend, you're like, I don't want to go alone. I want to take my friend with me. Grab your friend and take him with you. Amen. God is meeting you here. If his last call was whosoever will, it's still echoing through through generations it's still for whosoever will will you come and spend some time in prayer and acknowledge the lord if you've already experienced this you need to be thankful thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day